It says a little under the weather, and Bob, if you're listening, I hope you're feeling better soon. And it was my understanding Marion Boyd was going to join us, but perhaps she's been delayed. She's not here yet. Um, so, but that's okay, because I want to talk to you about something, because there's something I know you and I don't agree on, and it has relevance to what I wanted to talk about today. And I didn't realize we disagreed. We were just chatting during the break there. Um, the topic I wanted to address today, folks, was a follow-up on, uh, on Aaron Freeman's um, conversation we had with Aaron Freeman earlier today from Democracy Watch about political finance in Canada. And I've got the report here in front of me, and it's quite an interesting report, and it's, I don't know how many pages, 20 or 25 pages long, whatever it is. Um, it's not the report that I wanted to really discuss today, but I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity, this opportunity, and it's always a good opportunity, no matter who's here on either side of the, of the table, to uh, take a look at this issue kind of in general. And Bob said to me, uh, well, I, when I mentioned this was a topic I'd like to do, he said, well, good, because we may disagree. You may find we disagree on this. So I'm going to ask you, uh, no, I'm going to set it up a little more. I personally believe, and I'm happy to be uh, have my mind changed and Bob's going to give that his best shot, I'm sure, today. I personally believe there should be limits on the amount that any individual can contribute to a political party. I believe that because I respect the idea of one man, one vote. Um, I'm not sure... I'm going to get in a lot of trouble with this with some people. I'm not sure that it's always the most practical way to run a country. Nor, indeed, is it necessarily most representative of what's good for that country. But it is what we call democracy, and I'm prepared to, to live with the bad parts to benefit from the good parts. But I think, to me, if there's one man, one vote, we put that, district, that, that restriction on right away. We say, well, I don't care how wealthy or powerful you are, you still only have one vote. Seems to me that there should be some kind of similar restriction to how you can influence that process with anything other than your opinions and your voice and writing a paper, writing a book, making a speech. Fine, do all of that you want, influence as much as you want. But I don't think that you should be able to give, for example, a million dollars to a political party. And, and I don't have a million dollars. I can only give it one dollar. I, I think it's a little disingenuous to think that that's the same thing, that, 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 that we both have exercised our rights fairly and equitably. Now, my understanding is that you don't entirely agree with that. No, not at all, Jim. As a matter of fact, I think there's a, we have to make a distinguishing, uh, distinction here between... Um, democracy and freedom. Uh, sure, we understand what democracy is, one man, one vote, um, that kind of a thing I think we all agree on. Um, what we're arguing here about today is whether or not you or I have a right to spend our money as we see fit um, to further the goals that we think are laudable, to help get people elected that we think should be elected. And what you're suggesting, if I, if I, may, if I may, is that you think that somebody should decide um, how much we can spend on political parties and I'd like to know why and who that should okay. person should be. I answer the second one first. We should in the same way that we make the decisions about the other things, the other ways we run the country through the democratic process, flawed though it may be. Um, I don't think that's a problem at all. We make those kinds of decisions every day. At least our legislators make, it on, make them on our behalf. So I don't think that's a problem. As to why that I actually could be a problem if I could interrupt. Oh, sure. Because right now our legislators are made up of uh, politicians from three political parties, and yet there's at least half a dozen political parties here in Ontario. 
So if you're going to say, for example, that maybe, and I think that I heard this on your show earlier today, that maybe the government should subsidize or taxpayers should subsidize. No, see, I, I don't think that at all. I don't agree with that. Aspect. Oh, that's good. This is the democracy watch people. They yeah. think that's the way to have the government. I don't buy that for a minute. I don't think a penny of government money. But there's still. And a, it's not government money. It's tax money. I don't think a penny of it should go to any political party for any still, reason. There's still a flaw with legislators um, making the rules when it comes to uh, what happens with political parties because it's not a level playing field. Yeah, but I'm not. But the see, see now. You're, you're, we're, we're, I'm talking abstracts, you're talking practicality here. And practically, this is a problem. But practically making any change is a problem. What I'm suggesting to you, I think we'd be better off, however difficult it might be to do it, we would be better off if you and I are indeed equal before this political process, or equal parts of the political process. We are when we step into that voter's booth, and I think we should be also when we get our checkbooks out. Well, when we step into the voter's booth, that's where it counts. To suggest, for example, that if I gave a million dollars, I wish I had it to give, but if I gave a million dollars to a political party of my choice, that people out there are all of a sudden going to vote for that party or members of that party just because they have a glossy brochure, under, uh, it, it brings up an issue that is more fundamental, and that is, why do people vote the way they do? Is it because there's a glossy brochure? Is it because that $400,000 was given to the liberals by sure a is. bank? Absolutely it is. Well, then I think that our problem isn't necessarily the spending of money. It's, it's the apathy of voters and the ignorance of voters. But, okay, I'll grant you that. But I don't know how we fix that problem. I do know how we fix the funding problem. Well, yeah, I do this, know how we create a level playing field. Isn't it easy to, to wield a, a heavy hand and, and prevent people from exercising their freedom of choice when it comes to spending money on a political party rather than uh, handle the more difficult task of educating a populace? I think that's the task that you want to get at. Yeah, you but if you, if, you, if, you, if you want to take the argument that, okay, we, the, what's the point of doing anything until we, we've got to address these, you know, the, the apathy of voters, so unless and until we fix that, why talk about anything else? I mean, it, come on, Bob, what's the point of that? We'll never get anything done. We can always find a reason not to do it because there's a l larger issue that we've got to deal with. Well, I think there's, it's a condescending, if I, if, you know, with all due respect, sure. I think it's, it's sort of condescending to suggest to the people out there that we have to restrict the amount of money that you can spend on or or any or your neighbor can spend on a political party because it might adversely influence your decision to vote for that person um you know based on gloss rather than substance so we're going to do what's best for what we think is best for you in society by limiting that kind of input what do you into think the political governments system do what do you think they do? They do Besides take away my freedom? Yes. <laughs> no, and, I, and we can go there if you want. I, I won't d d d d dispute that with you, but that's what they do. Of course, we do it all the time. We put limits on things. But because that doesn't make it right. This is an ideological well, debate here. It's not, uh, like as you said, it's not a practical debate. Mm -hmm. it's sure, it's practical to be able to limit people's... But, I'm but I want to make it practical, and I think, we can, I think these changes can be affected. I'd love to come up with some way to stop voter apathy. Lord knows I would. And I try in this program as much as I can to keep people, get people and keep them interested in politics, keep them apprised of what's going on. I mean, you, do. you know, this is what I do because it means so much to me. I'd love to be able to find a way to, to, to encourage people to come out as informed voters, get 100% of the voters to come and vote as informed voters. I'd love that. I don't have the faintest idea how to do that beyond what I'm doing now. I have a very good idea how to change the campaign financing, and I think it could be done. I don't think it's going to solve the problem that you might be suggesting. First of all, maybe you can tell me, what is the problem with somebody donating a large sum of money to a political party? What's the problem? Again, and you, you, you alluded to it before, when you talked about the, uh, 
uh, you said something about the party of your choice or to forward the particular political aims that you have. If those aims are laudable aims, then that's not a problem. But what if they're not? Then that's for the voters to decide. Well, what if the voters don't know that? And, and, and this, is, this is the reality of our system. The voters, don't, the voters don't know what the agenda is of any of our major parties today. They don't know. What's the agenda of the Liberal Party? Tell me that. To destroy our freedoms well, and tax us to death? They won't say that. Do you think the average Canadian knows that? <laughs> the tax us to death part, they might know. I think that they just look, look at them as one of, the, uh, one of the evils that we have to vote for and exercise our Well, lesser of two evils, option. then? Lesser you of see, three again, or again, four. Again, my concern is not so much that... Uh, I don't want to put restrictions on you spending your money. You go spend your money on anything you want. As long as that spending that money does not have a personal negative impact on me. And I think when you spend large... If you spend large sums of money... Say you, you voted, you know, you wanted to, and I'm, I'm stretching a little, but let's do it. Say you believed in the Communist Party of Canada, and you and a whole lot of other wealthy people who inherited your money, so, you know, the, what do they call them, the Rosedale Socialists, you wanted to put millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars into the Communist Party of Canada. Well, I happen to believe that, that, that the policies of that party, as I understand them, would be terribly disastrous for and this I, country. And I agree with you. However, I wouldn't prevent anybody um, from, from donating to that political party. As a matter of fact, I think that once you start to do that, you become the evil that you're trying to prevent mm. for example if you if we had a, for example a nazi party take an extreme yeah. um a, some sort of fascist nazi party okay with really nasty ideas about mm. how this country should be run um i don't think that anybody should be prevented from donating to that party i, I don't think, think so either i don't think anybody should be prevented from donating and in fact i'd encourage and, 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 nor limits on yeah. how much because i think and i have faith in the population of this country though sometimes it's a little shaky that we will do the right thing when it comes, as long as the truth is known out there. But that we haven't, will, we, but obviously, we have not done the right thing. We've well, elected government our, after government yeah. after government of fools and poltroons. Agreed. Right? Agreed. We've done it over and over and over again. So do we blame ourselves? Do we say, well, we're a bunch of worthless no-goods who don't know any better? Yes. Well, it's, it's, e well, it's easy to do that, but you can also make the point that we are people who lead busy lives. The, the, the amount of time we are able to, as a, as a rule, to devote to following the political process is not as much as it should be, but it's as much as we apparently have. <clears throat> so how can we ensure that that limited amount of time people are willing to devote to it, that they get as straight a picture of what's going on as possible? And I submit to you, you don't get a straight picture at all if the Liberal Party of Ontario has a zillion dollars, the Conservatives have two zillion dollars, and Freedom Party has a buck and a half. Well, you know something, Jim? How, you're asking the question, how do you do it? You're, you're mentioning this, this particular group, Democracy Watch. Now, I know nothing about the group. The first time I heard about it actually is on the drive here today. But um, if that group really wants to put a, you know, um, a watch on democracy, what they should be doing is putting out report cards on individual uh, people who are getting elected or candidates during elections saying that, okay, here's candidate X. These were his or her promises during the campaign. This is the platform of their party, and this is what they've done in office. And give them a report. Give them a grade. A failure, an A or B, based on whatever the criteria they, they establish. But I think that's democracy watch, not trying to impose limits on how people can spend their money on the political party of their choice. 643-1290 is the telephone number. Star 1290 and the Cantel. Robert Vaughn and Jim Chapman going at it today on this issue of campaign finance. What do you think? Do you think there should be limits? Bob says no, because there shouldn't be limits on him spending his money the way he wants. I say, if he wants to spend it on himself or on his family or on any other darn thing, go ahead and do it, as long as it doesn't have the potential to impact negatively on me 
and I see that potential in campaign finance. What do you think? 643-1290, star-1290 on the Cantel. Robert Vaughn with us on, uh, I don't know what we call this. Well, it's still left Brain center because we're going all over the map today. We're talking about campaign finances and so on. We apologize. Apparently, uh, Marion was not booked to be here, and there was some kind of a screw-up on our end. So we're just pressing on. We're having fun, aren't we? I'm having fun. You're having fun. Listen, Rob's having fun. Who cares? Stan's up. Hi, Stan. Yeah, hello, Jim. Yes, How are you doing? Uh, I was listening uh, to the comment that uh, most uh, voters are, are kind of detached, ignorant of the process, all that. Mm -hmm. Now, I do agree with the theory that uh, uh, election campaign funding is uh, uh, not democratic, as we both know, the mass marketing procedures that, that guarantee some, well, pretty well assure someone a, a win in an electoral process are, uh, are expensive. Yeah, all things being equal, I, and, yeah. and, and I'll say this and I'll, I'll accept any challenge on this. We know enough today about human psychology and marketing that all things being equal, um, the candidate with the most money wins. Yeah, of course, yeah, and, and uh, that, uh, I'd like to see if, uh, statistics on that, but to get to the point, now, most people are actually not ignorant of that. They know it too well, and they feel disenfranchised. Um, not part of the process. It, some multinational corp is going to assure this guy wins, and you know what the only heck. No, only, no, I take a little issue with their assumption. They may believe that they can influence the process. In fact, they can influence the process if they don't try. Like I don't, yeah. I don't have, I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who say, "Well, my vote doesn't count. I'm not going to vote. I understand the whole system. I know everything works, but my vote doesn't matter." Well, I've found another way to to uh, get a little bit of influence on, on the process, mm -hmm. and one is to get involved in in uh, political organizing. Great, yeah. And uh, that doesn't cost anything. No. Um, uh, I would contend that we'd see more of that if uh, we could. Uh, uh, cut down uh, or, or limit the amount of campaign funds to a certain amount of dollars per people, mm -hmm. per person. Mm -hmm. Mind you, there's probably ways to get around that. Well, uh, on, if, if you're ruthless enough and you have enough money behind you, you mm -hmm. can probably uh, find a way around that, too. I think it was done in the States in the last election. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to discourage all but the most ruthless, I would think. And that is the status quo. Yeah. Stan, thanks for your thoughts today. Right. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel. Robert. You know, Jimmy, Stan brings up a point and made me think, what's the greater evil here? That a person gives money to a party in the hopes, perhaps, that he's going to buy the influence of that particular politician or party, or the actual politician or party giving that um, favor back to the uh, to the donor. I don't think it matters. I think they're equally reprehensible. I don't. Uh, well, uh, yes, there's a part of reprehensibility on, on the part of that you think that you might be able to buy influence. Mm -hmm. But I think the worser of those two evils is the actual politician um, giving favors to their, their, their biggest donors, whether it's the banks or even the people in their own riding. I mean, there, there's been a lot of uh, complaints today about, for example, Prime Minister Gretchen giving a lot of plums to Shawinigan or mm -hmm. wherever he's from. Yeah. And I think that's pretty reprehensible. A Prime Minister should rule the entire country and, and should not play yep. favorites. There's, a, there's an issue here, and, and it's a larger issue when we start talking about b buying votes. Um, I know a number of politicians, and I know some who've been supported significantly from specific areas, and, you know, got big money here, big money there. 
And I, I will honestly say this, to the best of my knowledge, and I'm a pretty observant guy, I don't know any of them who've been bought. I don't see evidence of that. I mean, I certainly see people who have sympathies that lie with supporters and so on, which may very well be why the supporters came in line behind them. Um, I could very well be wrong, folks, but in this country at least, um, I just do not see that yet. But I'll tell you what scares the dickens out of me as a student, as an amateur student of history. When you have societies where corruption does become entrenched, where it does become endemic, those societies inevitably, freedom is eroded, the individual freedom is eroded, and ultimately the societies collapse. You cannot sustain a society that, that, that runs on that kind of corruption. And it scares the dickens out of me every time we hear, you know, a story breaks about politician may have done this, may have done that, and it does happen sometimes. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to go far to convince me to give a life sentence to any politician who was convicted of, sentencing, of, of, of accepting a bribe. And I'm being that quite seriously. I think, that, to my mind, that is the most heinous, how do we put this, public, public's the wrong word, the most heinous... Uh, Misuse of the public trust. Exactly, I'll go with that. The, imaginable, to me. I mean, that, that's right up there with rape and murder, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of its potential negative impact on society. But society doesn't look at it that way. There are lots of people who, who you know, you know, if you could slip a hundred bucks to your local MPP and get them to do a favor for you, would you give them a hundred bucks and would you be glad for the favor? I'm telling you right now, there's a whole lot of people that say sure. That scares the dickens out of me. It does, but do you limit then the person who wants to, the legitimate person who, for example, um, really likes the goals of a liberal party, conservative party, or whatever, who wants to make sure that that party is is put into office because they like the platform. Then get out and work for them. Like you said before, get out there and convince the people in your neighborhood or on your block that this party's the right party. Do away with that apathy by showing the personal well, you said example. Yourself, you said yourself that we all have busy lives sure to lead. And yeah. if, if um, I have a busy life to leave, but I'm also quite wealthy, and I, while I can't donate my time, I can donate my money, remember, what is money anyway? It's, just, it's, a, it's a sort of relationship between your value to the community. I mean, the community don't just hand people money unless that you provide some value to mm -hmm. them. So if you can turn that over into some sort of political goal, um, why stop it? I don't understand that. Okay, let's go back to the phones where Howard joins us. Hello, Howard? Yes. Uh, I think in, in a lot of cases, uh, I forgot to say hello back, but uh, <laughs> uh, I think in a lot of cases these large amounts, these big gifts are not really altruistic. I think it's just prepayment uh, for uh, uh, favors or, or, in return. Well, I'm not sure. It's, I wouldn't look at it as a... I didn't say a, everyone. No, no but I, even, I don't think most of them are as a prepayment. I think what it is, 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 as Bob says, it's an attempt to make sure your guy gets elected in the hopes that, that he sees the way you do and that things will work out that way. I mean, I don't think... Yeah. I, I have trouble equating, and I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I mean, I hope I'm right. I have trouble equating the idea that you're going to give a half million dollars to the Liberal Party and you expect to get a half million dollars in business back from them. I, mean, I hope that's not what they're doing. No, I didn't say in all cases anyway. Yeah, yeah but in some But I think that, uh, you know, businesses spend their money very carefully if they're good yeah, businesses. they're good, yeah. They and do. they don't, uh, in fact, they're, they're really giving shareholders money away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because well, that money would have reverted back to the uh, dividends and in, the shares. In in the hopes that the political climate that results will be favorable to their business, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Howard, thanks for the call. I, and uh, we welcome Jeff Schlemmer to the program. Hello. Nice to have you here. I want to make the point, Jeff's not late. This was not his <laughs> fault. This was an organizational problem at our end here, but it's nice to have you here. Um, just to bring you up to speed, 
I assume you had the radio on. I did, of there course. You so you know where we are then? I do. All right. And basically, the line has been drawn. Bob thinks there should be no restriction on campaign donations, campaign finance donations at all. I think there should be very severe restrictions on it. I'm, I believe in one man, one vote, and I'm happy with one man, one dollar when it comes to, or one man, ten dollars, but same amount of money for everybody and no more for anybody else. Do you want to comment on that before we go back to the phones? Well, I think that, that generally there, there is a big problem when you have no limit at all because, uh, as, as you had said earlier, nowadays campaigning is so sophisticated and people are so good at marketing that uh, it having a lot of money can make a huge difference in an election and and if you're able to hire the people who do have a pulse or their finger on the pulse um they they can uh, skew the election dramatically i guess by making candidates appear to be something other than they are for instance uh, as you mentioned the idea of a popularity contest that uh, Increasingly, I think that that's the case, and you see a lot more of that in the United States, where it just seems like unless you've got the blow-dried hair and uh, you know the total makeover and everything, you're going nowhere. Um, on the other hand, though, as I was thinking about it, as you were mentioning these things, I think there are some fairly high-profile, wealthy people who have tried to succeed in politics and haven't. And I look at Frank Stronach, for instance, who mm -hmm. ran for the Liberals several years ago and was blown away. Peter Pocklington. Yeah, you've got. Uh, I was uh, in the states. You've got guys like uh, well, Steve Forbes, for instance, a perennial candidate for uh, president. He's got all the money in the world, but uh, has not really made that much ground. Ross Perot came came and went. Really, uh, it's interesting in the sense that they do have all the money and they theoretically can hire all the right people, but but somehow the message they're spreading is still not attractive to uh, to the public. Well, doesn't that sort of fit in with my argument, saying that it's not necessarily or shouldn't be the money that influences people, but the ideas, and if people are presented with a really bad idea but highly glossed up, they're still not going to vote for it anyway. Well, I'm not, I'm not so sure, because how do, as, as Jeff says, how do they know it's a bad idea? If what they're getting... They've got two brain cells. I hope that they can figure it out. <laughs> no, but we all, you, you already agreed with me, though, Robert, that there's a certain limited amount of time that, they're, that they have that they're willing to devote to this, and you can't always get to the bottom of this thing. If, if this is a beautiful package... You go to the car. You go to the store to buy a new car, and it looks good, and it sounds good, and and you've only got a limited amount of time to buy the car. You give the man the money, and you drive away, and you find out that the drivetrain sucks in it, breaks down six months from now. And if you'd been an engineer and been able to look under the hood and figure it all out, you'd have known that. It still doesn't do you any good. The car's still a piece of junk. So I mean, when you ran for city council, Jim, you know, you had a nice glossy brochure. Yeah. I had a, a pretty, um, well, non-glossy brochure. I did it on a photocopier my mm -hmm. first time round. Yep. And uh, I got elected, mm -hmm. and you're with the glossy brochure. You didn't get elected. Well, no, mind you, we're running for two different offices. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there are plenty of examples out there, and Jeff's already brought them up, where uh, the fear that you're, you're, you're bringing forward does not ring true all the time. No, no, I don't think it's fear. I think, uh, to me, to me, and I mean, this with the greatest of respect, to me, it's self-evident. I mean, we know, we do know, and, and the, the municipal campaign is certainly an exception to that because people do get elected on shoestrings still at the municipal level. Look at the mayor in the last election. Um, but the reality is at the provincial federal level, there's no way. You, you can't get elected unless you've got a ton of money. You just can't do it unless you've got a ton of money to spend. Or, and I'll make one exception to that, if you are a sitting member who has been a sitting member for a long time and has built such an extensive reputation and following and support in the community, you may very well be able to withstand even a highly uh, funded attack on you, pro providing that you're still you still command the public confidence and the you know the trends of politics aren't flowing away from you and so on. But other than that, and that doesn't happen all that often, 
Other than that, I come right back to it. All things being equal, the guy with the biggest bank book wins. But you know, I think that I would take it one step further and say that the people who are most interested in having the power and the influence of politics aren't necessarily interested in electing themselves. They're inter interested in electing the most electable person. Uh, and I look at somebody like a Ronald Reagan, for instance, who was you know heavily supported by the business community in the United States. I think that they were that the, the people who wanted his policies to be put forward were canny enough to recognize they needed a good spokesperson. Mm -hmm. You know, and he'd been the spokesperson for General Electric since uh, one, mm -hmm. you know, terrific communicator. And they said, it really doesn't matter who's, who's in the seat, you know, as long as we can get, the, get a guy who's amenable to our ideas in the seat, and the guy who can best do it is the one who's the best communicator, let's hire an actor. But, but Reagan is a classic example, whether you like his presidency or not, and I submit that there are some very positive things about his presidency, I think. I don't think he was just a talking dummy, but he certainly was to a certain extent. But I remember a speech he gave about the Panama Canal, Panama Canal, um, during the Carter administration. I remember watching that speech and thinking to myself, there's the next president of the United States. There's abs there was no question in my mind at that time that whoever uh, um, nominated him had the next president sitting right there. And this was in 78... I think seven, seventy, seventy-seven, seventy-eight, mm -hmm. uh, because he—I mean, this was the—you knew this guy. This guy. This was a package. He was so smooth. His his arguments were so well reasoned and so well presented that you couldn't you couldn't gainsay him. Well, that's right, and I, and I think that's the difference between those who decide that they want to have their their person in office and are willing to say it doesn't matter who it is as long as the person who's most electable gets in that chair versus the people who, who for whatever reason of, of hubris or vanity or whatever, decide it's got to be me, um, like, the, like the Frank Stronics, for instance. You know, he could probably have gotten a lot further by supporting candidates who, who were much more intelligent. But then again, stuff. but then again, uh, and I don't know that much about, well, I'm going to go to the phones in a second here. Dave, hang on. Um, I don't know much about Stronic's campaign. I did watch Steve, Steve Forbes' campaign. Um, you know, Forbes himself, Forbes was not the most, he was not the best package out there. So I would just... That's what I mean. But no, but what, I'm, what I would say is the fact that he had a lot of money, I never did say that a lot of money will get a bad package elected. You still got to have a good package. If he'd had a better package, his money might very well have made the difference. And the same with Ross Perot. Let's go to the phones now. Dave's been waiting patiently. Hi, Dave. Hi, Jim. Thanks very much. Yes, I had uh, two comments. One, you uh, had made a comment earlier about uh, societies or civilizations where the political system or hierarchy becomes uh, corrupted, mm -hmm. uh, ultimately all collapse. Mm-hmm. Is there any civilization that has not collapsed? Yeah, I think there are some that have metamorphosed, yes. Okay. Um, and I'll give you an example, an imperial civilization, that of Great Britain. You know, the imperium is gone, the empire is gone, but it has metamorphosed into, into another kind of stable society. We, and, 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 you know, we're, I don't think we're going to see the kinds of societal collapses that we saw in history. We're going to see, if, if there's a collapse, it's going to be a worldwide collapse. Mm-hmm. But but no, I, I I stand by what I said. I think there's certainly been uh, been been trans uh, uh, societies that have undergone transition. Okay, yeah, I, okay, I'll go along with that. Mm -hmm. And the other one was uh, I think um, our political machinery, if you will, has become so big and so out of control. I mean, there is absolutely no responsibility or accountability uh, of our politicians whatsoever. I mean, once you elect them, I mean, all you can do is just stand back and watch what they do. You you have no control. Uh, if they decide to go out of control, to, to be able to do anything. And then you have a leader like Craig Chen, who, you know, basically is rude and arrogant all the time. Everybody knows this. He does nothing in office. And uh, you have no means of doing anything except whenever he calls an election, maybe you can turf him out and then 
is the next party any see, better. But the problem with that analysis, Dave, is he's not seen as rude and arrogant by everybody. His, he's got popularity ratings of 70%. And these which are, but which these almost not, convinces me that uh, you and I, are, in a sense, are almost talking to a, a stone wall because uh, there doesn't seem to be any... Uh, rational uh, objectivity or, or um, at this point ideas I, I, at this people. point I don't think there is but we're, we're at an aberrant point in history I, I would submit to you certainly an aberrant point in Canadian history we're in a situation of relative economic prosperity in spite of the fact we in fact we have crippling taxes mm-hmm. we have basically a do-nothing government in, in in Ottawa at a time when there's lots of things to be done but but you know it's the same old story the stream keeps on flowing I, my belief is as long as the pundits keep saying the future looks bright and as long as the majority of us in the middle class, even though we do have crushing taxes, still are uh, having a fairly uh, high standard of living. And, and again, we're listening to the pundits. And as long as they say the future looks okay, folks, nothing's going to happen. Exactly. When they start saying, you know, next year we're all going in the toilet big time economically, then you watch the politicians scramble because that's when it does make a difference. But right now, Kretchen, Kretchen's the luckiest guy alive. Oh, yeah. Kretchen was absolutely in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. Exactly. Nothing to do with being the right man. No. He's just there. He hasn't done anything. It's almost impossible to name anything he's done. Thanks for the call today. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. After pause for just a second, we're coming right back with more on Left, Right, and Center with Bob Vaughn and Jeff Schlemmer. 643-1290, star-1290 on the Cantel, and Bruce has been waiting. Hi, Bruce. Hi, Jim. How are you? Fine, thanks. Good. Jim, I just wanted to say that, uh, first of all, I agree with you, uh, but my point that I think maybe you're missing here mm-hmm. is I'm a union member, mm-hmm. and my union continually gives money to a group that can't get elected, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I oppose this yep. in the sense that I don't think any of them should get any money from a group. I well, mean, exactly. That's everybody's dues that are in there. Well, that's and I and I agree there too. Like I don't think that union money is any better than some industrialist money. I don't think and, and nobody who vote. No, uh, back up, Jim. The only people who should be, in my estimation, who should be allowed to contribute are people who vote. Exactly. Ind- individuals who vote. Well, if 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 companies can vote then they should contribute. If unions can vote, then they should contribute. Other than that, no. Believe it should it be not, individuals. I disagree with you. I think unions should be able to give money to uh, political parties. However, not under the current circumstances. The problem with unions giving money to political parties is that now you're forced to give dues to a union. If you weren't forced to give dues to a union, I think that would be an No, exception. but not all unions. No, there are unions you can opt out of the political donation. And the CAW the is one of them. still exists in the country. Yeah, but the CAW is one of them. They, they, you contribute to the CAW, but if you don't want that your portion of that contribution to be spe- uh, to be uh, delivered to a political party, you can sign a little form and it doesn't. It goes to that's charity instead. But Jim, that's basically untrackable. Yeah, I'm a CAW member, yeah. and it's my understanding that, okay, go ahead and sign it. Now, how do I prove that my dues, you know? Well, don't you trust your, your leadership? Uh, to a degree, seeing that they won't listen to me about where I send our money for our political support. Yeah, I hear you. Bruce, thanks for your call today. Thanks, Jim. Take appreciate care. it. Bye-bye. Metz, what do you want? I thought you were sick. Well, I thought I was too, Jim. I went to the doctor, just got out, and he told me I'm okay. I got to stay away from air conditioning. Oh, the, really? Yeah. What a disgusting it thing to hear. This really, time. Made, well, you know, not to be right under the draft type of thing, you know. Okay. <laughs> you wanted to get your two cents worth in, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you to keep it short though, because we have people waiting. Sure. You know, it used to be unethical to buy votes with with the politicians' money, but today they buy it with our own money. Yeah. To me, I think the whole thing is the power structure. As long as we've got a political system that says that you can rob Peter to pay Paul, 
really everybody who votes out there votes for their own self-interest and for something that they think they can get out of the system, which to me is just as corrupt as anything else you might be talking about. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to have a control anywhere on, on, on money raised, I think people should be able to give money to whatever cause they want. But if you want to make rules and make all political parties equal, you could say that they can only spend so much, which they also do as well. Well, that's an interesting twist on it. Because, How, where, because where, you where, see there are spending limits on every, every campaign and every riding is only allowed to spend so much. You're allowed to spend so much per person yeah. in the riding, and, the, and there's a formula calculated. It does not matter how many millions of dollars you have. You can't spend them. Well, where would you set the level then? Well, they set it according to the number of voters well, in a riding. I, I, would, I personally wouldn't. I, I think it's superfluous because I, I've learned that the amount of money you spend does not make a loss or a win because the first time I ran, I ran against Gord Walker, who spent more money than anyone else in the history of the province, and he lost against Joan Smith. Mm -hmm. And um, But again, and I come back to what I said earlier, all things being equal. If I think back to that election, Joan had a very high profile at that time. People were ticked at... Uh, but you know what Joan did? What? She went door to door in oh. e to every single place in London mm -hmm. South at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what got her elected. Well, and that still works. I won't argue that yep. with you. But exceptions, in, in this case, I don't think the exception proves the rule. Yeah, well, there you go. All right, that's thanks, my Bob. two bits All for right. today. Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. And Pat's been waiting patiently. Hi, Pat. Good morning, Jim. Yes, sir. He just stole my thunder. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> he just stole my thunder. I agree with you totally, and I agree with, with Mr. Metz totally. There should be one limit. Totally. Mm -hmm. Province-wide mm -hmm. or federal-wide. Mm -hmm. Each get, I don't know, $10 million. That's just a number off the top of the head. Yep. Not necessarily that. And that's all you can spend. Yep. I mean, they, they limit how long you can campaign in the provincial election to 28 days. Mm -hmm. Each party should get $10 million or $50 million, whatever. From whom? You can't spend one cent above it. See, I think, I think if you're going to do that, give each party $50,000 and let the guys go door to door. Yeah. And the other, the other thing is, uh, the, I think one thing somebody's got to come up with is the government can't uh, advertise for itself before an election. Oh, amen to that. Like, wh what happened this past provincial election? The, the, and I think you know I didn't vote PC, but yeah. this that was ridiculous. Previous, we had two uh, months of nonstop campaigning. Yeah, the, previous, the previous year, the expenditure for government advertising went up 50% the year prior to the election. I mean, that's obscene. They're using our money. Like, yeah. that's my money and oh, your money no, used it's to promote a government. No, it's absolutely obscene. It, it should not be done. Well, well that, maybe that's it, maybe just it what worked. I wanted to call and say. Yeah, thanks for the call. Bye. Thanks, bye. Jim. Maybe it worked. Uh, that certainly was a big part of it. And again, that would come back to my contention that that that's an unfair advantage because they had access to more funds. You talk about unfair advantages, Jim. I think the biggest thing that the government could ever do, or we as population could ever do, to help level a playing field in democracy, make it dem democratic, is to have fixed term limits. In other uh, words, I don't like them. In other words, or fixed election dates. I'm sorry, fixed well, election, election dates. Election dates. I do like I'm that. Sorry, I said it came out wrong. Yeah. Fixed election dates, so that way you don't have, for example, the party in power saying, "Oh, we're up in the polls today. You know, now's the time to call an election because we'll win." Yeah. That is an extreme yeah. abuse of power. And you've got another problem here. And our last election here provincially was a wonderful example. Um, Bob was talking, or Bruce was, Bob was talking about John Smith, for example, going door to door. You can't do that in 28 days. Not, not anymore. No, you can't okay. do that. You know what? You know what happened? For example, I'm, I'm a trustee on the school board. I mean, we ran citywide 
for a five thousand dollar a year job, mm -hmm. a year job, yeah. citywide. Now you expect to knock on every door. Yeah, you can't you do cannot it. do that. You have to have money to. Well, in this last election, I followed a couple of campaigns very closely: Frank Mazzilli's and 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 Peter Mancini's and Roger Carancy's. And I, those guys were out all day, you know, pretty much all day every day, and none of them got near to hitting every door. In their, no, and, in their and to give people an, an indication of how long it takes, when I ran uh, in Ward 4, it was a number of years ago, when I ran, I knocked on, I think, every single door but maybe in one rioting or one uh, polling mm -hmm. subdivision. And it took me four and a half hours every day, seven days a week for six weeks. Mm -hmm. That's how long it takes. Absolutely. We do have to pause for a second. We're going to come back and add Greg to our conversation. Stay with us. This is Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. Left, right, and center, and uh, Greg's up front and center. Hi, Greg. Uh, hi, Jim. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, say a couple of comments. Um, it seems like there's sort of some uh, ironies or paradoxes. Like, we live in a free country, so at the moment we're free to donate as much as we want. Yet what we want to do is, is restrict that or cap it so that... Um, th the freedom we have to vote in a democracy will work. Mm -hmm. uh, now, w one way I think that it, it could be indirectly um, um, capped without t touching our freedom is take take all the tax benefits out of it and make it, hey, this is what we believe in and we're, we're willing to put our hard-end dollars in because when we're talking about big, big donations of rich people or corporations or the person themselves, um, you know, the taxpayer is actually paying a great yeah. portion of that. No, you're quite right. So, so in other words, uh, I'm not big keen on redistribution of wealth anyway, but um, if the redistribution of wealth helps someone, uh, uh, you know, with a, a bad lot get back on their feet, um, I'm much more agreeable to that than, than the redistribution favoring people to make bigger donations uh, to, to political parties. Appreciate your thoughts, Greg. And, and if, if, you know, also, if the donations drop, then we then we'd let, let the news report their positions, let the debates report their positions, and, and have them have a grassroots campaigns where they do knock on the doors. Yeah, thanks for the call. Alrighty. Take care. Good thoughts, sir, from Greg, and Tony's up next. Hi, Tony. Uh, you know, I, I don't think money is, is any uh, the real problem. Uh, I think that uh, the problem is that uh, politicians do not present themselves before the public to answer questions. We, we get these little uh, sound bites, these, these little, you know, prepared little speeches, but I would say that there should be a law that all politicians, anybody running for public office, should be made to present themselves often enough in front of the public and answer questions one after another. How do you do that? If you've, well, been, if you've been to an all-candidates meeting, which is an approximation of that, you'll find, and any candidate tell you, in a two-hour meeting, each individual candidate is lucky to get five minutes of time to speak. Lucky yeah, to get know, five minutes. You know, that is the problem. Money is not the problem. It, the problem is... The candidates do not get up there and give their positions to enough people. Yeah, but how are you going to change that? Is my question well, to you. The law could it could be arranged. It might be cost of some money, but it, 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 it's just a matter of, of demanding that the the. Uh, no, it's the not. No, Tony, it's not that simple. You you've got to get. It's not it's not simple enough to say. You know, you got to get them up there and answer questions. A, how are you where, where are you going to get the people from to come and ask the questions? How many people are going to do it? And B, how are you going to set up a better system than we have now with the all candidates meetings, where you're still lucky to get a couple hundred people to come well, out? Even if you notice the presidential elections, they they hate the debate. They they will not. You know, the the in, incumbent yeah. will insist on maybe one. One public debate, yeah, because they fear that they fear answering the questions. But how do you do a debate when you've got eight or nine or ten candidates in a writing? 
You well, can't debate I mean, with that many people. It, it could be, it, we, even if we got them to, to spend twice as much time answering questions or getting up talking. Well, Tony, I, I'm with you 100%. I think you're absolutely right, but I haven't the faintest idea how you make that oh, work. But I, Bob I says he's got an answer. could sit down and figure it out pretty easy, though. Bob, Bob's got an answer. Well, I, I hope it, it'll help, and that is, I think that what Harris, for example, did in the last provincial election was, uh, or term, was wrong in that he um, made writings bigger. And now it becomes almost necessary for people to be, uh, to have a lot of money to be able to run in a riding. I think that there should be twice as many po politicians there are in Queen's Park as there are now. I think there's a problem with how much they're paid and their pensions and things like that, but, but we can get around that. But I think that there has to be more representation at a more local level. For example, you know, wards in the city, um, they, they could be smaller. Or you can have one person running in a half the size of the war there is, and rather than two people running in a, in a larger war. But if you're going to do that, why don't you make uh, four times as many, and then eight times as many? Let's get down to the smallest little special interest group we well, there can is find. A, there is a level of reasonableness that you have to find, sure. But I, I, right now, I think it's just too big. And I think well, that's probably part of the problems that we're facing today. Words may be a good example. The words are certainly you know, a lot smaller than, um, than provincial and federal ridings. And it's interesting to me that uh, with the, with the, the uh, councillors in town, for instance, their numbers are all in the phone book, that they are actually pretty excited. Accessible, uh, like you, you can pick up the phone and call anybody who you're mad at and uh, and talk to them. As far as I oh, know, I all the counselors are available. Well, but but I, my understanding is that for most of them, at least, you can talk to them if you do have a gripe. Uh, like they're a lot more accessible than the than the MP and the uh, MPP, for instance, who have a much larger area. And to cover. they have to stay. They have to stay accessible because they won't get elected if they don't. But the MPs and MPPs don't have to be accessible and will still get elected. How do we solve that problem? Well, and there are a couple of reasons for that. You know, the, the, the size may be an aspect of that, as Bob says. They've got to be more in touch with the local people because there's a lot fewer local people that they're accountable to. But the, the, then, you know, the whole party system and all that kind of stuff that also removes them. You know, as an MPP, you're in big trouble if you say something that doesn't toe the party line. So can they actually say what they think, or do they have to just spout out whatever they've heard from Queen's Park or from Ottawa? Uh, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Tony, thanks for your call today. Yep. Good to have you with us. And my thanks to my two guests today, Robert Vaughn and Jeff Schlemmer. Nice to have you both here. Pleasure. Thanks. And, folks, we encourage you. You know, the, really what this program is all about, it's about exploring, you know, different philosophies and all that stuff. But mostly what it's about is, we hope anyway, to get you thinking about some of these issues out there. Maybe you'll start talking with some of your friends or relatives, and maybe you'll come up with some of the answers that, uh, that we haven't been able to find yet. That's really what the show is all about, and that's why we are, are so pleased to have you join us every Wednesday for Left, Right, and Center. On tomorrow's program, we've got some exciting new technology coming your way, and I'm, we're going to tell you all about it. We've got a nice contest for you where you can win some of this exciting new technology from the, our good friends at Cantel, and I've been using one of their little units here for the last week, and it's just dynamite. We're going to give you a chance to find out a lot more about that and some of the other new things they've got out coming up here tomorrow. We've also got a debate on the Good Society. We'll tell you more about that, too. And Dr. Howard Piper is a pet nutritionist, super nutrition for animals and birds, for your pets. He'll be here ready to answer your questions, too, about uh, how to keep your cat, dog, no, he's got a list here, dogs, cats, ferrets, horses, and birds, how to keep them healthy. So he'll be on with us tomorrow. And we've got Treasures in the Attic with uh, Tiffany and Paul Gardner from Gardner Auctions. Plus, we'll um, have, sure, have some, I can't talk today, we'll have some uh, open phones, we'll have some news stories, and we'll have whatever else Kathleen has on the table for us. We'll all find out together tomorrow. I'm getting out of here before I get into any more trouble. For Bob, for Jeff, for Ryan, for Kathleen, for the other Ryan, for Sarah, it's Jim saying take care of each other, mind how you go, and we'll see you soon. Don't forget, Ask the Experts 1230 today with Bud Cole.